remember once riding shotgun in my friend's truck back in high school. He was driving like a fool down a dirt road and at some point lost control of the vehicle. As we veered inevitably and at high speed toward the ditch, I became aware that time was proceeding at an astonishingly slow pace. I had time to think, to consider and reconsider, to predict and plan for our imminent, though somehow eventual, collision. It's been so long since I gave any thought to this occasion that I don't remember the details, only that our emergent and frightening situation had by some means afforded me an excess of time to think, just like the car going over a bridge in a movie scene might break through the barrier in slow motion, with concrete bursting idly outward and the car's front end flying glacially forward and down and down and down toward the river below. It is evident to me that there is an important relationship between time and consciousness. This was not lost on me when I developed my own theory for consciousness. After all, it is called the temporally integrated causality landscape. Time is right there in the title. In this episode, I will explore the perception of time. In the Principles of Psychology, William James wrote, quote, The practically cognized present is no knife edge but a saddleback with a certain breadth of its own on which we sit perched and from which we look in two directions into time. The unit of composition of our perception of time is a duration with a bow and a stern, as it were, a rearward and a forward-looking end. It is only as parts of this duration block that the relation of succession of one end to the other is perceived. We do not first feel one end and then feel the other after it, and from the perception of the succession infer an interval of time between, but we seem to feel the interval of time as a whole, with its two ends embedded in it." Unquote. James wrote later in the same chapter, quote, If the experience be what it roughly seems, we have a sort of special sense for pure time, a sense in which empty duration is an adequate stimulus. While, if it be an illusion, it must be that our perception of time's flight in the experiences quoted is due to the filling of the time with and to our memory of a content which it had a moment previous and which we feel to agree or disagree with its content now. It takes but a small exertion of introspection to show that the latter alternative is the true one and that we can no more intuit a duration than we can intuit an extension devoid of all sensible content. Just as, with eyes closed, we perceive a dark field in which a curdling play of obscurest luminosity is always going on, so be we never so abstracted from distinct outward impressions, we are always inwardly immersed in what Wundt has somewhere called the twilight of our general consciousness, our heartbeats, our breathing, the pulses of our attention, fragments of words or sentences that pass through our imagination, are what people this dim habitat. Now all these processes are rhythmical and are apprehended by us as they occur in their totality, the breathing and pulses of attention, as coherent successions, each with its rise and fall, the heart beats similarly, only relatively far more brief, the words not separately but in connected groups. In short, empty our minds as we may, some form of changing process remains for us to feel and cannot be expelled, and along with the sense of the process and its rhythm goes the sense of the length of time it lasts." Unquote. I have thought of this duration block in terms of a window in time. No matter how hard I might try, I cannot fail to see a bus crossing an intersection up ahead of me as motion unfolding before my eyes. I do not and cannot perceive the world as a series of still moments in succession. I actually see the change. 
So what James describes as a duration block, a section of time over which we experience, is self-evidently true, whether true as a matter of fact or true as a matter of illusion. My framework for consciousness, the Temporally Integrated Causality Landscape, TICL, requires such a duration block because causality necessarily occurs over time. The leading knife edge of the present is insufficient to produce consciousness because consciousness is composed of dynamic contents that exist from a sustained point of view. According to the TICL, a large integrated system exhibits some non-zero level of temporally integrated causality, TIC, across all of its neuronal elements. Within that, some elements have a higher level of temporally integrated causality among themselves. These subsets of elements are called subsystems. The system experiences the dynamics of these subsystems within it. One subsystem might be diminishing in TIC, as another is rising in TIC. From the system's point of view, some conscious content is receding from view or diminishing in volume, just as some other conscious content is beginning to emerge. Conscious experience is always changing, and change requires at least a little time. In meditation, with a focus on the breath going in and out, one can attempt to attend solely to this rhythm and disconnect from all else, all thinking and self-reflection, to cease being conscious of being conscious and be just plain conscious. If one is able to achieve this, some flow of meditative experience might be had, broken only upon the occasion of self-reflection or the intrusion of some other evidence of self. Under such special conditions, is it possible against James's intuition to simply experience the pure passage of time without content? I get the feeling that if I could do so, then I would cease altogether to exist. But how can time pass? What thing is time but the changes that occur as it is passing? What matters for the measure of time is the comparison between different events which continue to occur in the world. If the faucet drips once for every three times the light flickers, a rather creepy scene I've just conjured, we have a measure of time in units of drips and flickers. Perhaps to round out this example, the psychopathic killer descends the stairwell to menace his victim once every 4,000 drips or so. In a windowless room in utter darkness save for the dangling light bulb overhead and a single buzzing housefly in its orbit, there are evidences of time's passage the victim senses his own breathing in and out, in and out, the rapid pacing of his heartbeats, drumming away the interval before his captor descends again into his dungeon. Leaving our creepy horror basement scenario, let's consider the matter from a more mundane vantage point. Suppose we were to standardize our measure of the passing of time to the phase of the moon. When the moon rises completely into view, if it is a full moon, then the number of times some other regular event is observable in the world in the interval between that moment and the next occurrence of a full moon rising can give us a sense of its rate in moons. Some events will occur outside of that interval so we can measure them in moons. We might celebrate the harvest once every 12 moons, for example. A clock enables us to standardize our measure of time. It really doesn't matter what we use for our clock so long as the thing proceeds with a constant frequency. The first accurate clocks were perhaps the pendulum clocks of Christian Huygens, a mathematician whose inventions could tell time with an error of only 10 seconds per day. We now have extraordinarily accurate atomic clocks, which work because stimulating atoms of cesium-133 with microwave radiation results in a resonance that occurs at the precise frequency of 9,192,631,770 hertz. 
This regularity in our physical world enables us to compare other events to a standard event and thereby measure its frequency or duration. The point is that evidence of time occurs anywhere in which there is some succession of movement or changes. Things were in one arrangement before, and now they're in a new arrangement. If we could find nothing in the physical world which seemed to exhibit regularity, if breathing occurred stochastically, if the sun rose in accordance with no discernible schedule, if pendulums and quartz crystals and cesium-133 showed no regularity in their behavior, our relationship to time would be assuredly different, but we would nevertheless experience its passing. Our perception of time need not be as accurate as a modern clock. Indeed, human beings are limited in our capacity to compare and contrast intervals of time in the laboratory. Dean Buonamano describes experiments that he and his colleagues conducted on interval discrimination in his book, Your Brain is a Time Machine. He writes, quote, We used a standard interval discrimination task in which subjects heard two different intervals and were asked to decide whether the first or the second interval was the longer. In this task, each interval was bounded by two brief tones. Thus, the first interval might consist of the two tones separated by a standard interval of 100 milliseconds, while the second, so-called comparison interval, might consist of two tones separated by 125 milliseconds. The difference between the standard and comparison interval, in this case 25 milliseconds, is referred to as delta t. If presented with intervals of 100 and 125 milliseconds, the participant always correctly identifies the longer interval, and we can conclude that our internal timer has a re resolution of better than 25 milliseconds. By varying the value delta t, it is possible to estimate the precision of brain timers. We first estimated the threshold of subjects on standard intervals of 50, 100, 200, and 500 milliseconds. The first thing to note is that these thresholds were very different for each standard interval. This is a general property of how humans discriminate discriminate stimuli of different magnitudes, you can probably tell the difference between two objects that weigh 100 and 125 grams, but not between objects that weigh 1,000 and 1,025 grams. Generally speaking, what matters is not the absolute difference between the two stimuli, but the relative ratio between them." Unquote. Neurons fire spontaneously at certain frequencies. They oscillate. The oscillations are not precise, but in the aggregate, could provide good enough timekeeping for our evolved purposes. According to the TICL, the dynamics of coexisting subsystems get their meaning in their relationships to one another and to the whole system from the point of view of that whole system. Subsystemic relationships are implicit comparisons, geometric ratios that the system experiences in the form of qualia. We simply see that one object is larger than another, hear that one sound is louder feel the rhythm of the bass guitar and drums. Is the drum beat as accurate as a quartz crystal or an atom of cesium-133? Of course not, but we cannot discern such precision. And any two objects in the real world, such as two horses or two boulders, will differ in size or weight, but we need not have evolved to perceive such small differences. We see two similar horses and two similar boulders, and that is good enough. Temporal relationships are of a similar kind. If you would need a slow motion replay to determine which of two runners crossed the finish line first, then as far as we are concerned, in the state of nature, they crossed at the same time and we have a tie. If our perception of time is linked to the oscillations of neurons in the network, to the dynamics of subsystemic activities, then drug effects might be able to alter it in an appreciable way. 
I don't know about you, but I have definitely had experiences of time slowing down when on cannabis. Two things seem to characterize such drug effects. First, the richness of conscious contents is enhanced, as if normal everyday things are now salient and full of novelty. Second, the passage of time seems to slow down radically, such that a moment can be stretched and filled with elaborate thoughts and sensations. Good old William James mentions this effect in The Principles of Psychology. He writes, quote, In hashish intoxication, there is a curious increase in the apparent time perspective. We utter a sentence, and ere the end is reached, the beginning seems already to date from indefinitely long ago. We enter a short street, and it is as if we should never get to the end of it. Unquote. He goes on a bit later, quote, If our discrimination of successions become finer-grained, so that we noted ten stages in a process where previously we only noted one, and if at the same time the process is faded ten times as fast as before, we might have a specious present of the same subjective length as now, giving us the same time feeling and containing as many distinguishable successive events. But out from the earlier end of it would have drooped nine-tenths of the real events it now contains." Unquote. The illusion of time dilation that occurs on cannabis might reflect an abnormal number and depth of contents. Our everyday schema would give us the sense that this could only mean that more time has passed in order to have made room for such richness. But looking at the clock, we see that not a minute has clicked by in the objective world. The enhanced resolution of sensations and thoughts feels as though a substantial time has passed, when in fact it is not. Dean Buonamano writes, quote, the best studied chronopharmacological effect on timing in animals involves manipulating the brain's dopamine system. Dopamine is an important neurotransmitter and a modulator of many different brain processes. Most notably, it is damaged to a cluster of dopamine-producing neurons located in the brainstem, the substantia nigra, that produces the characteristic tremors and motor deficits of Parkinson's disease. The Duke University psychologist Warren Mack and his colleagues have proposed that dopamine might alter the speed of the timing circuits within the brain. For example, his experiments have shown that after training rats with a fixed interval of 20 seconds, the administration of the stimulant methamphetamine, which among other effects increases dopamine levels within the brain, can shift the timing of lever pressing from approximately 20 to 17 seconds. But after days of repeatedly performing the task while on methamphetamines, the rats slowly readjusted their timing back to 20 seconds, as if they learned to work with a chronically fast internal clock by recalibrating the number of internal ticks that correspond to 20 seconds. Furthermore, when the rats were taken off the drug, they overshot. The peak timing of the lever pressing increased to above 20 seconds." Unquote. Stimulant drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine make the intoxicated person appear to the rest of us as thinking and acting quickly and impulsively. Our sober perception of time provides a perspective from which the drug user appears to be buzzing around at high speed. But we would expect the internal perspective of the drug user to feel normal, even as everything else around him is going in slow motion. Perhaps, among other things, dopamine regulates timing in the critical brain networks. Undoubtedly, the real neural situation is more complex than that. William James also discusses the reverse of time dilation, as occurs when we are engrossed in something interesting. He says, quote, In general, a time filled with varied and interesting experiences seems short in passing, but long as we look back. On the other hand, a tract of time empty of experiences seems long in passing, but in retrospect short. A week of travel and sightseeing may subtend an angle more like three weeks in the memory and a month of sickness hardly yields more memories than a day. 
The length in retrospect depends obviously on the multitudinousness of the memories which the time affords. Many objects, events, changes, many subdivisions immediately widen the view as we look back. Emptiness, monotony, familiarity make it shrivel up." Unquote. If experiences as they are happening can seem to consist of objective time going either relatively fast or relatively slow, then we should expect some aspect of the thalamocortical system to be behaving differently in correlation with those experiences. In accordance with the TICL framework, I have a hypothesis about the sense of time. In the TICL, the threshold for contents to appear in consciousness is determined by the level of temporally integrated causality across the whole system. I have said that this must be some non-zero level of causality over some time period. Recall that temporally integrated causality, TIC, is the amount of causality occurring among an integrated group of elements divided by the amount of time over which that causality occurs. Causal power occurs when one neuron influences one or more other neurons, generally in an excitatory fashion. If the connection is direct and local, it might take only a few milliseconds. If the connection is direct but longer range, it might take tens of milliseconds. If the connection is indirect, it could even take a hundred milliseconds or more, and reciprocal connections occur from other targeted neurons back onto the first. Suppose that the entire integrated system has some non-level, non-zero level of TIC with the denominator being 700 milliseconds. This means that any subsystem within the larger system must have a higher level of TIC within a time frame of 700 milliseconds. If it takes longer than that, the temporal frame is outside of the bounds of the system. The temporal frame answers to what William James called a duration block. I suggest that in this example, the 700 milliseconds is experienced as the present moment. Subsystemic activities will produce conscious contents within that time scale. My hypothesis with regard to the perception of time is this. Drugs such as methamphetamines increase the firing activity of neurons across the system, enabling them to achieve a higher degree of TIC with one another across the whole system. This is achieved by decreasing the amount of time required to achieve that level of TIC. That is, the denominator is decreased. This raises the threshold for experience by narrowing the temporal frame from 700 milliseconds to something smaller, say, 400 milliseconds. Now, only those subsystems which have a high enough level of TIC across their elements within the 400 millisecond window will produce conscious contents from the point of view of the system. The result is that a moment of consciousness is now only 400 milliseconds long. Thus, all things equal, the amount of change occurring in the present moment is reduced. Events appear to occur in slow motion. The temporal resolution of experience has increased. Now, for every passing five seconds of objective time, there are 12.5 moments worth of experience instead of seven. With a wider temporal frame, a moment has more change contained within it. With a narrower temporal frame, a moment has less. Thus, the sense of time passing from the point of view of the system can be modulated. We are not sensing time at all, it seems. Rather, our senses are limited to the unfolding of events within the present moment. We see things moving, hear sounds evolving, feel sensations across the skin, and a continuum of thoughts, each introducing the next before drifting away. Their traces hang on in their absence for just a few moments beyond them, and then they are gone. What is the present moment anyway, but the position along the dimension of time from which a conscious being bears witness? Mm -hmm.